Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So it is Sunday, March 28, 2021. You're so good with those dates. You never get them wrong. I cheat. I look at the newspaper in the morning before the podcast. A big week. Uh, we're going to talk about President Biden's press conference. Some people say, uh, my goodness, isn't it a relief that he's a fabulous uh, communicator and he's uh-huh. all there? And others say... Everyone has always said, Joe, Joe Biden, fabulous communicator. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we're going to talk about the Colorado baker uh, who uh, is back in the news. He back. Won, he won in front of the U.S. Supreme Court three sort years of. ago. He did not want to uh, do a cake for a interesting couple. inside baseball about how he won, yeah. the terms on which he won, and why the court doesn't expand those decisions out. So he's a magnet for lawsuits because he's been sued again yep. by somebody who wanted him to bake a cake to celebrate uh, her decision to change from being a man to a woman. And doggone it, he just didn't want to go along. Uh, we're going to talk about some banned words. We may get to uh, Washington, D.C. being a state. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, non-fungible tokens. Which Can't wait. Connor understands. I don't understand. Last week was fun. We we kind of got into our personal uh, political origin stories. And some folks had uh, positive response to that. So we want to kind of get back to that theme next week. And uh, it's not as exciting as, as the Flash origin story or Batman. Uh, maybe more exciting than Superman because everybody's heard that. To so our most devoted. You know, planets right. blowing up. Okay, right. we get it. Good memory. Yeah. Uh, to our most devoted fans, I'm sure our origin stories are even more in, <laughs> enthralling. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's get to non-fungible tokens. So this uh, I really don't get, Connor. They've was, taken the internet by storm. I yeah, saw somebody weird. interviewed, and the guy is a digital artist, right. and he has created, he took a picture a day for like 15 years and right. compiled it into this incredible work of digital art, and he sold it for scores of millions of dollars. $69 million. $69 million. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. And he's trying to explain to some interviewer who's saying now, How's that different from if I just kind of, you know, copied and pasted and right. downloaded? He said, well, you would own the NFT, right. you know. So, and I'm saying to myself, what the heck? Is it, is it as straightforward as this? The Mona Lisa is the Mona Lisa. Yep. That's kind of analogous to the origin story, non-fungible token, the thing that's, you know, created by the artist on the Internet. And there are countless fabulous copies that none of us, except for one hundredth of one percent of the world's population who's an art expert, could tell you, oh, that's a copy of the Mona Lisa. To the rest of us, we have no idea. So it's totally indistinguishable. Nonetheless, we still honor and pay Jillians for the original Mona Lisa. Is that all that's going on? No. And that's the weird... Well, I'm glad I asked the question. Yeah. And that's the weird and counterintuitive thing about it. There's nothing special about the original of a digital... Uh, object compared to a copy of a digital object. And therefore, if you have a piece of art that you create in Microsoft Paint, where you go in and you click the bucket tool, and then you draw a piece of digital art, uh, or a real artist would use one of many, many tools to do to create a, a piece of digital art. And then... You're suggesting those people aren't real artists? Well, the people like me who, who mess around okay. in MS Paint? Uh, no, I'm not. But okay. some people I'm sure are. So if you create that, and then somebody makes a copy of it, that's covered by copyright law. The law says when when you're allowed to copy and distribute and uh, uh, profit from all those uh, uh, proceeds, right? 
So this is slightly different than that, right? There's no attempt to distinguish between the original of the non-fungible token and uh, the copy uh, of it that you and I can Google and see right now. This this piece of art that this guy created, that this guy bought for sixty nine million dollars, you can go Google it right now and you can peruse it, and it will be in absolute best quality. It and it will that copy will be identical and indistinguishable from the original. In fact, there's no difference between the copy and the original. So why do people pay millions for the original? Because they don't. They don't pay millions Mm. for the original. They pay millions, at least this one person has paid millions this one time, for the non-fungible token. So a non-fungible token is a manifestation of Bitcoin technology, right? The uh, Bitcoin runs on this piece of, piece of technology called the blockchain, which basically just says all these computers all verify every transaction, put it down in a ledger, and then everybody can say everything's public. It's verified by all us, all us computers talking to each other. And so if anybody has a dispute about what happened in this transaction, we just go back to the blockchain ledger and see what happened. It's right It's right there. It's totally- What well, can go wrong? Nothing. It's all public, right? Nothing. It's And it's decentralized. It, it's It's got lots of benefits. It's also got- Lots of downsides, but whatever. Um, in this case, what an NFT is, is it's kind of like when that company in the 90s or whatever started selling uh, the National Star Registry. They started selling uh, the rights to name a star, and you could name a star. They'd pick an actual star in the sky, and they'd say to one. you, if you pay us 50 bucks, right. we will name it Little Timmy. <laughs> Right. And, and you can frame Timmy. the certificate, yeah. and it will be registered in the right. U.S. Copyright Office. So yeah. it'll be, in that way, kind of official, and little, little Timmy can think, that's really swell. Yeah. Alpha Centauri is named after and me. that's exactly it. And that's the same thing as an NFT. You have a piece of digital art, and they say, well, we will give you the NFT for that piece of art. You'll you'll be registered on the blockchain in, in view of God and everyone that you are the owner of this token mm-hmm. that says in it, I reference this piece of art, this original piece of art. And the way it references that is another shaky issue is usually it has a URL to where that original piece of art was hosted. What happens when that website goes down or the company that maintains those goes bankrupt or part of the internet, the, the servers that store that part of the internet uh, uh, go a natural disaster and fail? Uh, and now your NFT doesn't refer anywhere and it says you are the proud owner of, Meh, we don't know. Yeah, but, That's a problem, but, but again, we don't go there. We don't I, go there. Again, I don't understand how it's different from... You own the Mona Lisa. Yeah. The art world recognizes you own the original, and other people own copies. And so you pay a billion, and they pay ten dollars. What's different? There's What's nothing. Different? There's nothing different about the in the meta sense that it's based on a shared sense of a concept of ownership. Right. But in this one, the weirdness is there's two levels of abstraction. One, you're not. You don't own the actual piece of art. You own the NFT for that art, which is just a certificate issued by a bunch of computers that say ah. this token refers to the Mona Lisa. And then secondly, by virtue of having the NFT, you can do whatever you want with that non-fungible token, with that certificate, right? They call it a token because it sounds computery instead of certificate, which sounds ridiculous and fake, which is what it is. So it, you can do whatever you want with that NFT. You can resell it. You could... <sighs> sell shares in its value. Uh, you could rent a house against its, or you would buy a house and put that up as collateral and thus turn it into a house. You, you could do anything you want with the token, but that doesn't give you any rights as to the art in the copyright or patent or trademark or whatever else sense that we have hmm. in American law. Weird. So in American law, if I own Huckleberry Finn because I wrote it, which I didn't actually. Mark Twain wrote it. And while that's well, a pseudonym, Samuel Clemens, really. it's not my pseudonym. Right, exactly. Uh, 
So if I own Huckleberry Finn and somebody wants to print copies of Huckleberry Finn, the U.S. government, the power of the U.S. government is behind me being able to rush into court and say, Judge, we all know I wrote uh, this. I can prove that. And as a result, I own the copyright on it because that's how copyright law works. And therefore, this guy's trying to make money off of my copies. But if you own the NFT of the of the, you know, this guy's digital art and somebody else wants to host that art on their website or recreate it or remix it or sell it or whatever else, you can't say squat because they're not covered by U.S. law. And it's not like it's a failing of U.S. law. You only control and own the certificate that refers to this. I could create a competing system to NFTs. And if you didn't care about the fact that it was blockchain verified, that everybody agrees and can verify who owns what NFT at any time by looking at the blockchain, because if they really feel like it, if you just trusted Connor to maintain the archive, you could come to me and say, Connor, can you sell me the CFT, the Connor fungible token uh, <laughs> uh, about for it would have to be non, but CNFT, the Connor non-fungible token for this guy's digital art. And I'd say, absolutely. And I'd whip out my yellow legal pad and I'd scroll, Bill Simmons owns the CNFT for uh, this picture of a cat licking its own butthole. And I would tear that page off and I would hand it to you and I'd say that that'll be $10 because that's $10 for every every single uh, JPEG that I do this for. And I, as long as I promise not to sell that certificate to anybody else and you trust me to do it they trust because of the blockchain technology behind that makes duplication theoretically impossible because all the computers are verifying but as long as you trust connor for whatever set of reasons i could sell cnfts and there's nothing different about it and it doesn't mean you own the art at all it just means i'm the new national star registry scam that makes little timmy feel special everything you ever wanted to know about non-fungible tokens but you just didn't know what to ask and connor thank you for answering sure. that hey when we come back um my gosh i think this is a this is another tom hanks project it's the colorado baker who keeps getting sued jack phillips so captain jack phillips isn't that a tom hanks oh no that was just captain phillips yeah. so we're going to find out why the heck this guy who was sued several years ago for not baking a cake for a same-sex couple why is he back in court this week he spent the entire week in trial we're gonna fill you in on that but first connor's gonna fill you in on how to subscribe to and rate this here podcast thanks so much yeah if you like the pod and you're excited to hear about our next personal political origin story uh in the series uh check us out next week and the way that you can check us out next week is liking us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever other podcast platform you use, subscribing or following, depending on what verbiage they use. There's just a big button, and sometimes there's a little bell, and you click it, and that way you get push notifications saying there's a new episode, and sometimes it means you get you know uh, a notification in the app. But either way, however you like to do it, uh, make sure you get notified so you don't miss us next week, and every little bit helps if you share it around to friends. We'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So Jack Phillips is a baker in Colorado, and uh, boy, does he wind up in court a lot. He's a magnet. Several years ago, uh, he was asked by a same-sex couple, we'd really like you to make a wedding cake for us. And he said, I don't think so. I just don't believe in that kind of stuff. It violates my Christian religion. And so they took him to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and he lost. And it wound up before the United States Supreme Court. And in one of uh, Anthony Kennedy's last official acts, uh, I think it was shortly before he retired in 2018, uh, he wrote a big opinion in favor of the Baker. And it was kind of a narrow opinion. It, it said that this Colorado Civil Rights Commission really showed hostility against the Baker's religion. They compared it to the Holocaust and Nazism and so on. They were kind of over the top. So the Supreme Court ruled for the Baker, but they did not come out and say that 
businesses may invoke religious objections to refuse service to gays. So right. it was kind of a narrow holding. So this is something that happens at lots of courts uh, where, where the, you have multiple judges on a panel. Um, sometimes it happens with solo judges and uh, as well, but most often you're going to see these weird, narrow decisions. And it's a result of uh, some would say horse trading, some would say just a desire by the court to not take this issue up at this time. Um, what they do is they do a variation on saying, we limit this case to its facts. So if you ever see, in a, uh, if you're ever reading a, a, an opinion of a court, and I hope you never are, <laughs> and you see the words, we limit this opinion to its facts, whatever that means, it what it means is, uh, this case is not to be precedent. It's not to be precedential for other uh courts to look to and say, oh, okay, well, they found it in that case, and therefore we have to find it in this case. They're instead saying, look, every situation is different. And sometimes a judge can look at the facts of a case and broadly decide for everybody for the future in our precedent system to say, well, in this case here, same-sex couples should be able to get wedding cakes from bakeries that are open to the public. They didn't want to make that decision for whatever reason. Now, maybe it was because there were four liberals and four conservatives and a swing vote, and the four the the swing vote in the middle said, "I don't want to take a stand on this. I don't want to mess up my legacy." And maybe it was there were two liberals on one way and two conservatives going the other way, and uh, three people in the middle who didn't know what the right answer was or didn't want it to become part of their legacy or whatever else. And so they say we're going to narrow it to these facts specifically. Uh, uh, one of the other famous cases, very very famous cases in California, that was also narrowed to just its facts that you may have heard of is called the Shelley versus Kramer case. And that's famous because um, this- uh, Dealt with restrictive covenants. Right. This uh, this black family wanted to, uh, uh, sorry, this family wanted to sell a home to a black family. And there was a, a clause in the, it was a restrictive covenant in the contract that is the deed to the house that said, you can't sell this house to a black family. And so they go to court and they say, judge, this is discriminatory. We'd like to ignore it. And the judge said, you're right. You get to actually the Supreme Court ended up saying, yeah, California Supreme Court, I believe you get to ignore that because what if we were to uh, use the power of the court to enforce that, that we would be giving power and effect to private discrimination. So the public uh, the government can't affect private discrimination on behalf of uh, individuals who are trying to discriminate. We can't stop people from discriminating. We're not going to try to, but we're not going to do it ourselves by enforcing their contracts. So they uh, they could have made that expansive and said all these contracts everywhere are just gone. And also, the the government will not be creating uh, laws that put into effect private discrimination. They could have said that, but they didn't. Instead, they narrowed it to the facts and they said just specifically as to racially restrictive covenants in this geographic area are unenforceable we read them like they don't exist so and just like in that case in the in the 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 gay wedding cake case they said we're we're not gonna talk about the big issue the big issue is can people who who run businesses that are open to the public in the amount that in the same way that this baker was open to the public um do they have to be totally blind to people's protected status of race right. or so gender or whatever. A, a narrow decision. Instead, they said the the, the Colorado uh, Civil Rights Commission 
had been religious, uh, had been discriminatory as to this guy's religion and, and ignored the fact that he had religious objections and just sort of tramped all over his rights as a, as a religious person to make decisions for himself, which is very, very narrow. They didn't yep. even deal with one of these people. That's right. the cake. They kicked the can down the road. So, you know, the interesting thing to me, Connor, about this wedding cake angle is that it, it, it caused the courts to get into the question of you know, artistic function as opposed to utilitarian function. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're looking at a guy who makes a wedding cake as, as being kind of an artist. Because right. if you own a diner right. and you say, uh, oh, my goodness, that's a gay person coming in wanting a cup of joe. I have religious objections to gay people. And so I'm sorry, you can't get coffee here. He's going to lose. But what if he makes art in the latte foam? Oh, the good point. Yeah, that, that's true. I, but you know, nobody, no sane judge, of course, would entertain that. Right. But a bunch of judges have entertained the idea that cake bakers really are artists. And yeah. that's, you know, the Solicitor General arguing in favor of the, the baker in this Supreme Court case said that an artist cannot be forced to paint and a musician can't be forced to play. And uh, the function of a wedding cake maker is more artistic than utilitarian. So and that, that, that wasn't a part of the decision because, of course, the court would have had to reckon with all of right. these angles to come up with a real rule it was just part of the argument. that would provide a guide for society and how we move forward. And instead of doing that, they took the coward's way out, which so, is to say, we're going to throw our hands up and we're going to say, oh, we're not yeah. going to decide this. We're just going to get it out of our freaking face. So that was three years ago. And, which and is, they, I mean, they're wimps. Like, I mean, your job is to make huge, consequential decisions that affect for. policy. Yeah, that's why they get paid the big bucks. So the baker's been celebrating for three years. Yeah. It's been one long party, but Probably now the not. party's over because you know what he did the last week? Dun, he spent dun, the last dun. week in trial. Oof. So Autumn Scardina shows up and she says uh, to the baker, oh my goodness, you won't believe my origin story. I started out as a guy. I'm so excited about being a woman. Uh, I would like you to bake a cake celebrating my gender transition. I, I like it to be uh, pink, on, pink the outside, on the outside, blue, blue on, on the inside. inside. And he said, I don't think so. That's a cool cake Did you idea. read about me three years ago? I won in the U.S. Supreme Court. So she sued him. And the trial has been held for the last week. So Connor, you want to get the old uh, crystal ball out and predict uh, how this is going to turn out? Who's going to win? You think maybe the Supreme Court will take another bite out of a, another cake case? I well, mean, it's entirely possible. I, I think that I think that uh, this this court could take. I mean, this case could take a long time to wend its way up to the Supreme Court. But there's no indication that the Supreme Court is about to change in a liberal direction. If anything, like Breyer retires, he'll just be replaced by another liberal. So. Well, that means we have a uh, significant conservative majority, arguably 6-3, probably 6-3 conservative majority right. on the court. It only takes four justices to decide that they want to take a case. So the four most conservative justices could say, hell yeah, now's a great opportunity to really spike this whole liberal, uh, you know, uh, persecuting people for being religious thing. wedding cake trend yeah and and just settle it once and for all you could get a four justice minority that votes to take this up and then you could get two semi-conservative probably pretty darn conservative uh judges to get you know pulled in and end up with a six three or or or, or uh or even maybe just five four because with with two justices possible swings they don't have all the power yeah you know they, they they can't they can't control the other the more conservative justices as well as they can when there's one swing vote who, who has all yeah. the power it is sure interesting as you pointed out the way it's set up four justices uh may force the court to be taken by the supreme court but of course you need five out of right. nine to win right. so they can get it on the agenda here's the weird part here's where the uh 
the transgender cake controversy turned a little weird for for my money, but see if you agree, Connor. Uh, After Autumn asked the cake baker, Jack Phillips, not Captain Phillips, to bake the cake for the uh, transgender celebration, and he said no. She calls him back, and she's kind of agitated, and, and, you know, she ended up suing him. She says, well, what if I called you and asked for a cake showing Satan smoking a joint? What would you say? Now, I'm not sure why she did that. Was she hoping that he would say, well, yeah, that wouldn't, uh, you know, offend me so much. But of course, he said, I'd say no, yeah. Satan smoking a joint. The answer is no. Yeah. So, I'm, I, again, I don't know how it comes into play. Well, but it you raises know, a question. What if Autumn had said, I mean, what if she walks in? Right. And let's say that uh, that Jack Phillips is a very progressive baker. I mean, really progressive, loves Bernie and hates Trump. And what if Autumn had said, um... Here's a picture of Donald Trump. I want you to put a 12 inch by 12 inch Trump head on my back. Like Roger Stone has Richard Nixon on his back. Don't you think a tattoo artist should be able to say, screw you. I am not spending any time putting Donald Trump's face on anybody's back. It's it's actually. Doesn't he have that God given American right? Prerogative. Yeah. No, it's it's a real issue because this concept of, uh, you know, is there going to be the big issue here that. Art, about artist, about like what does it mean to be an artist? Like, is a is a cake baker an artist? Is mm-hmm. a tattoo artist an artist? Uh, as opposed to, uh, are you just serving coffee? Seems at a diner? like he is. The two big issues, the way I see it, those are proxies for the real issue, which is harm to the artist, the person doing the thing or making the coffee, either directly or indirectly. So if you, yeah, what if you have a Jewish? Tattoo artist, exactly. and the guy says, "I want right. a swastika right. or a Hitler uh, yeah. face on my and, back." And the guy says, wouldn't all gonna, of America say, "I'm not going to force right. the Jewish tattoo artist to do that"? The, it would cause psychic yeah. harm to the uh, tattoo artist to have to uh, tattoo a picture of Hitler or a swastika on. But isn't that uh, an argument Nazi. for this fundamentalist Christian being able to say no to a whole panoply uh, of requests for for uh, baking the cake? Oh, I totally understand that. Absolutely. And the second issue is is the indirect harm a concept, it, not just the psychic harm or emotional distress that it might cause uh, a Jewish tattoo artist to have to tattoo a swastika, but also the. Uh, reputational and business harm that it could do if that person goes out in the world and says, I got this swastika tattoo at that tattoo parlor. And suddenly people say, holy cow, that's a Nazi tattoo parlor. I'm never going back. And that's a huge reputational and business loss. Right. Uh, and it could ruin somebody's life to force them to do that. Now, contrast that with the obvious case of who do you serve coffee to at your diner? Nobody, even if you're, you know, uh, uh, a skinhead or whatever, and you walk into a, a diner and you have, you know, you're, you're a real jerk and everyone knows you commit crimes uh, and, and everything's bad. And, and I serve you coffee at my diner and they, you leave and you go tell people, hey, I, I drank coffee at that guy's diner. The reasonable audience is going to say, okay, cool. He serves everybody. Like that doesn't really matter. There's nothing bad or objectionable. You didn't demand anything of him that caused him psychic harm or that causes me psychic harm to think, have to think about. So what are we even talking about here? So The real question is not whether this is art, right? The question is, what are the effects on the person? Uh, And and we're using these as a proxy thereof. And when we say, are are there harms and there are are there effects on people, we also have a sense of uh, rationality about it, the sort of standard of reasonableness, where people in society can only act a certain way and expect others to act a certain way. If you are special and different and by virtue of the way your brain works, 
the idea of people playing football and really like ramming into each other and bumping into each other and, oh, man, this person's getting hurt and it's rough and tumble sport. If that causes you massive psychic trauma, you cannot go to the NFL and say, I do not tolerate the existence of football. You're screwing this up for me. You're ruining my life. You're making my brain miserable right. because of my particularities. you got to stop or whatever else, right? Anything else that people you know refuse to put up with. We have a standard of... I'm sorry, but that's not reasonable. You can't do that. I understand what you're saying about this cause you psychic harm, but we just don't believe that it causes you the psychic harm, or we don't believe that it's worth it to have everybody have to stop playing football in the entire world just so that you don't feel bad about it. And you can just go to a part of the country where there's not a lot of football, move to, to Canada and watch hockey. It's fine up there. The Canadian Football League, they got smaller fields. It's a tamer game, much less physical. You'll enjoy it, I swear. People can change their lives too, right? And in the same way, you can say, look, if you're not comfortable baking cakes for gay couples, then you got to not be a baker or whatever else, right? Like that's that's just one of many options of the ways that you can resolve this. You just have to weigh the harms that are done, how they're done to the individuals, and then apply a standard of, is it okay? Is it reasonable? So I'm not saying that gay people should be able to, uh, you know, force somebody to officiate their wedding, which might be a very personal thing. I don't think it personally is, but it might be a very personal thing. Uh, even if uh, that person hates gay people. But I am saying that this is the calculus you've got to do. You've got to weigh the harms that are done to these people yeah, no, against think... the societal norms of, well, what harm does it, it cause everybody else for you to be out there saying gay people are bad? I that think... causes psychic harm to the couple. I think that's the clash. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about a little twist on this. Arkansas has just adopted a law letting doctors refuse to treat patients if the treatment would violate the doctor's religious or moral positions. We're going to get into that when we come back on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Oaks. I'm Connor Oaks. And we're talking about uh, laws that uh, sort of pit people's philosophical, religious uh, views and objections against uh, providing services to the public. So Arkansas has just uh, passed a law saying that physicians in that fine state refuse to treat patients because it would violate their religious or moral positions, then that's okay. Now, there's an exception. Emergency room stuff may not be declined. Doesn't matter how the doctor feels about it. But for elective stuff, people just roll into your office and it's not an emergency. And the question is, where would this end? Would it be abortion? Would it be gender reassignment, uh, hormone treatments, mm -hmm. surgery, grief counseling for same-sex couples? Uh, Arkansas is now saying with this law that if you are a physician, you don't have to do that kind of stuff right. if you don't want to do it. Now, I'm not sure the effect of, for example, if a doctor is in a, uh, a public uh, clinic that's maybe paid for by tax dollars yeah. as opposed to he's got his own uh, private practice. Right. But so who knows how the, the details will be worked out. Uh, what do you think, Connie? Think so that'll I uh, survive uh, court scrutiny if no. they take it up? No. So I don't. Although you never know with the Supreme Court, well, what they're going to say. That Arkansas Supreme like. Court's pretty right wing. Well, yeah, and I mean the the Supreme Court itself the, of the U.S. is pretty mm -hmm. uh, right white wing, right wing. So this issue is once again a massive broad brush trying to target uh, a thousand issues at once. And what it does is instead of taking, it, it takes away the government's ability 
and doctors like the American, you know, Medical Association type doctors organizations. Not the AMA doesn't make all the rules, but you know what I mean? Like the, the doctors in many ways do regulate themselves, the same way lawyers do, tragically. Uh, and they make policies that are very specific and very targeted about who uh, does what kind of treatment when, what rights and responsibilities doctors have to patients. It's all extremely granular. And when the, the, the state legislature of Arkansas just paints this enormous broad brush across all of it and says, uh, let doctors do whatever they want, that is really saying prevent the government from telling doctors what they have to do and when. And that is a dangerous concept, right? This is saying that some individual person's religious uh, uh, feelings and uh, trepidation about what they, you know, might have to uh, have to deal with and whether they feel that that gay people or trans people or whatever are icky that or, you know, a very serious and strongly held religious belief. Maybe maybe I don't mean to minimize it there. Uh, I do. But I didn't you know, I I don't need to minimize it, but I did mean to. (laughs) So it takes it out of the hands of legislators and doctors who have been doing this for a really long time and coming up with sometimes good, sometimes terrible, but at least well thought out and slowly evolved positions that we come to that we can change on a granular basis and instead saying, nope, anybody who has a religious objection just to do whatever they want, basically, oh, we'll make an exception for emergency stuff. That's it. Bright line rule. We're done. And the search for bright line rules can be very seductive, but it doesn't always end up with the best outcome if you have the time and person power to really get behind creating granular small rules like do you have to do hormone replacement therapy do you have to do plastic surgery for somebody who's trying to transition do you have to as opposed to just doing general plastic surgery and the real decision out there we've been thinking about these questions for all of american history right and before that all of british legal history it's not like this is the first time that we've ever come up with Uh, the problem of somebody having a personal objection to doing something in public. Of course we have. And before it was, you know, gender and and sex uh, decisions, it was usually most often racial decisions and then national origin decisions. I mean, we have for and and also mundane, totally non sort of hot button issues. Think about common carrier laws. You have a system where we say, If you are a company that runs buses, you are what we call a common carrier. You fall into that category and you have to serve anybody. So if somebody tries to get on your bus, but they are disabled and it's going to take you extra time and money to be able to get that person on and off of your bus safely every time. Uh, And so it would be cheaper and easier for you to tell your bus drivers whenever a disabled person tries to get onto your bus to say, screw off disabled person, I'm out of here. Exactly. And you floor it and you leave and you never pick them up because it would waste everyone's time and money. So we as a society said, oh, that's bad. We want people with disabilities to actually have access to our society. And so if you're a common carrier, you put yourself out there, you benefit from all the public stuff that the world throws at you, like people walking down the sidewalk, walking past your cake shop, or past your, your bus stop or whatever else, and using your services because of everything that you avail yourself of in our society, you've got to give a little bit back in the form of spending the time and money to give equal access to all to your service that you provide the world. So you're a common carrier. You're in that category. Now, that's different if you are Bill Carr guy. And Bill Carr guy likes to give rides to his friend and when, his friends. And when his friends, four or five of them, um, when they get rides from Bill Carr guy, they throw him some money for gas. And he's basically a private car service. But, you know,
know what? He doesn't do that all the time. And then so slowly, suddenly he starts to he quits his other job and only does this. But it's fine. He has some uh, family money socked away, so he doesn't need to you know actually have a steady job. He just says this once or twice a week. But he's so popular and he's got such a nice car. Bill Car Guy does. So all his friends- side hustle becomes the big hustle. Yeah. Eventually, he's doing it four days a week. And you know what? He's getting references from friends of friends, people he's never even heard of, who just heard, oh man, I heard your car was great and it's really comfortable and you know I, I want you to drive me to the airport. And so he starts doing it. And eventually, at some point, he becomes a common carrier. The law has dealt with this problem before. He has availed himself of the public and our society, and he's part of the Just system. Just like Jamie Foxx in Collateral. Exactly. There's like the taxi driver. Eventually, he's a taxi driver. And once you're a taxi you like driver- a Robert De Niro's? Oh, a bad taxi driver. You can't deny people of, of protected classes service in your taxi just because you, you find them objectionable, because you're part of the system that we need to make sure that disabled people can get around, or black people can get around, or whatever else you have a, an objection to, and gay people, trans people, whatever. And it's that line where we decide, are you just Bill Car Guy, or are you a taxi company? It's not about whether you file for an LLC yet. It's about how much you are uh, helping people, how much you put yourself out there, how much you benefit from society. These are all really complicated questions. And when the Arkansas, you know, a, a state legislature passes a broad brush, ridiculous law that tries to wipe away centuries of American and British common law that have determined who has to give back what to society and just say, nope, anybody with a religious objection trumps anybody with a gay objection because they're gay and this guy's religious and I like religion. That doesn't help anybody and Connor, it certainly doesn't make our society better. Connor, your answer was so terse. I didn't quite, <laughs> could you could you amplify a little bit? I kid. I, oh I, say, it, I say it with was love. Recording? I say it with it love. It recording, was it? So we're I gotta do it again. No, the machines actually it's going round and round. Okay, real to real tape. Yeah. So um Joe Biden's press conference. I thought we'd finish off with that. Um Okay. Gosh, you know, I just don't know what to think. Uh Connor, I turned on CNN. He's refreshing. He was sincere, he was articulate. I turn on Fox, he's lost it. What am I supposed to believe? Now, I saw the whole thing. Well, I think you just take the average. Uh, what I thought was a shame was that folks didn't jump on a comment he made. He was asked, well, do you think uh, Donald Trump will run against you? For you? And he said, I have no idea. And then he said, I don't even know if there'll be a Republican Party in four years. And I'm thinking, whoa, what the <laughs> hell? Where did that come from? These and Democrats. I thought, now that's going to energize the Republicans. Yeah. He's trying to kill us. But silly. nobody seemed to pay attention. So that's I guess silly, I'm just yeah. weird about that. I mean, I think... They, I think a lot of people know that the Democrats live in this crazy bubble where every time a, a Republican does something that generates outrage, their base all starts screaming and they go, wow, everybody's screaming about this when it's not everybody. It's just the people who are super tuned in and hooked in politically that actually have outrage to spare, which is a tiny subset of the population. And their idea that, oh, my God, the Republicans are, are going to disappear and demographic change is going to make them uh, obsolete and this and that. It's silly. We've only had a couple of death of a party transitions in American history, like two, right? When the Whigs went away and the know-nothings went away and then the bull moose never happened and all these these old-timey political parties that you know started and actually had some sort of support from elected officials and, 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 and money backers to try to make these things happen. It's rare. It's not going to happen again. It's much more likely that a party just shifts, right? Like in the 60s, when the Warren court was stomping all over conservative, uh, conservatism and changing everything super fast and racial integration was happening and Lyndon B. Johnson's Great Society, the Republican Party didn't disappear just because they didn't represent a large demographic of the United States. They just changed their policies. They just started 
going pro this and anti that instead of anti this and pro that. And it's going to happen the same exact way. The Republican Party is not going anywhere. They're just going to, as they are already doing, work harder at attempting to brand them, rebrand themselves as the party of blue collar workers, because that is a massive expanding right, demographic. Right. So and it gets to dodge racial issues. So they're, you know, currently trying to pretend that they're pro union. That's a problem because it's hard to dodge and, you know, pretend you're uh, pro-working class, but not pro-union, but they could do it. They could portray unions as not, as anti-working class, and they're already doing it. And it's very successful. So that was a comment that he made that was kind of controversial. Yeah. But, the, but the bigger issue I think that people like to focus on is uh, whether he is starting to lose it. And the Democrats are absolutely insisting that he's just fine. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a little halting at times, but, but basically he's fine. And the Republicans uh, are trying to push this uh, narrative advocated by people like Carol Lieberman. She's a physician and she, uh, I got an email from her because she sends her PR people, send it out to a lot of uh, podcasts uh, who say, say, Hey, you know, why don't you get Dr. Lieberman on your, on your show? So what she says is that she's been warning America about Biden's encroaching dementia, which is now worsening at an alarming rate. She points to physical signs. His eyes had a vacant stare during the press conference. He smiled inappropriately. He read from notes. He twisted words. He says, help is here and hope is on the way. He said, when I came to the Senate 120 years ago, which when I heard him say that, I thought it was a joke, but then maybe it wasn't. But this raises an interesting uh, issue called the Goldwater Rule, Connor. In 1964, when Lyndon Johnson uh, clobbered Barry Goldwater, one of the reasons he was able to beat him is because Goldwater was portrayed as as being a nutcase and would have his finger on the nuclear trigger. And psychiatrists said, this guy is out of control. He's a nutcase. And the Goldwater Rule was... On reflection, the psychiatric community said, don't diagnose somebody long distance. So then it rears its ugly head again during the Trump era, where a lot of psychiatrists did not hesitate to say, well, I may not have had Donald on the couch, but I'm here to tell you, here are his diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So people violate the Goldwater rule. Uh, I guess the question is whether or not. Uh, as as Biden goes along in the next few years, whether th- this is going to gain traction or not, it seems like every time the Republicans get their expectations up, like during the, the big debate with Trump, and everybody thought, OK, Joe's going to lose it because there was this loop of, of examples of him totally making no sense that you'd hear on, on conservative talk radio. Mm-hmm. And then he did fine. And yeah. then the press conference comes the other day. And I think a general consensus is that he did fine. Right. He does seem kind of uncomfortable and halting. And one thing he did was that he read extensively from notes, especially on foreign policy questions. And old time hands in the Washington press corps on the left and the right were saying they don't remember ever in the last you know, many decades a president at this press conference reading from notes answering any questions. Remember when so, Trump had uh, those notes that he hand wrote with the Sharpie and gigantic big stupid block letters? He had to write a note to himself to say that the Ukraine call was perfect, perfect call, perfect, perfect call, perfect call yeah. no problems. Maybe, I'm the last, I'm the United States, maybe President that's of the United an States, exception. and this is the last word on the issue. Maybe that's one of the few that's exceptions. But I say, as I say, I saw uh, reporters that are basically uh, on the left and the right yeah. agreeing that this was okay. kind of unprecedented. So, so this is a complete non-issue ginned up by the right-wing media because they have nothing to talk about. Joe Biden is putting checks in people's pockets and uh, passing massive legislation, and they have nothing to do except talk about whether he's mentally failing. He's probably mentally doing just fine for a guy his age and he seems fine to me he's always been a massive gaff machine and the fact that the 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 media has nothing to talk about leads directly into how we like get the issues of the day right when when there's nothing like if it bleeds it leads right people's declining mentally that leads and when trump was in office oh my gosh the 
the the the the chatter was ah oh, Trump's brains falling out his ears. He can't string a sentence <laughs> together. He's got late stage syphilis that was never treated from all his sexing around in New York with with people in the nineties and whatever. And you know, remember when he said uh, that avoiding sexually is it, transmitted is that a disease thing, was sexing around. I haven't sex, heard I that know. Okay. So remember that comment when Trump made in, in some interview with like GQ or something or Playboy or something in the in the nineties. He said, oh yeah, uh, compared to they were talking about Vietnam and he. Said, Oh, you didn't go to Vietnam. He said, but yeah, avoiding STDs in the 80s, that was my Vietnam. Yeah, he had a way with words, didn't he? Oh, my God. I mean, this is how these are the issues that generate public hype and that become the, 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 the headlines. I think it's ridiculous that as soon as Trump leaves office, the, the media, because they want to appear not liberal, liberally biased, jumps all over his border issues. Oh, my God, he's putting kids in cages. And it's been, you know, 60 days or whatever since he uh, came into office and there are still kids in cages and all this and they start you know pounding all over this and as though there's a, a border crisis if you want to you know rate whatever how many migrants approaching the border as a crisis and say oh well, that's joe biden's fault and since he inherited it and he's got it now it's now his issue okay you can do that and you can say that that's the issue and because immigration always bleeds it always leads and it's always you know, red meat for everybody's base on both sides yeah that's the issue that becomes the the news of the day it's the exact same thing in my mind with this like mental decline stuff. No matter who the candidate is, they're always going to have a mental decline stand, uh, scandal as long as they're like over 55 years old because it's just juicy. It's so red meat. The idea that, oh, my God, the guy with his finger on the button might be crazy or he might be stupid. It's so easy to say that your political opponent is stupid or crazy that it's never going to go away as an issue. Well, I'll say this. I sure hope you're right. Me too. Because I think we'd all sleep better at night knowing exactly. that our president is all But we'd there. watch less news. So, And we hope you'll be all back next week when we will get into some further origin stories and also we'll uh, get into the question of whether the District of Columbia should become the 51st state I'm so excited States of America (laughs) have a great week see you again on Too Many Lawyers